0: Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 40, and with many other words, he, that is the apostle Peter, testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many signs, many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Churches, like people, come in all different stripes and types. There are big churches and small churches. Formal churches and laid-back churches, mega churches and intimate churches, contemporary churches and traditional churches, quiet churches and noisy churches, reflective churches and expressive churches, teaching churches and reaching churches. I heard someone describe churches as either bells and smells churches or happy and clappy churches. How about coffee bar churches and potluck churches? My point is, is that there's no such thing as a typical church. Every church has its own unique style. In 1980, God called me to start a church in Stone Mountain, Georgia. And my calling was clear. My goal was not to plant a big church necessarily. It was to pioneer a certain type of church. In fact, I knew the kind of church that God had put on my heart might preclude it from becoming a large church. In the South, and in particularly Atlanta, Georgia, we have no shortage of churches. There seems to be a church on every corner, and many of them are good churches, places that know how to attract a crowd and introduce folks to Jesus. I read recently that there are now over a thousand churches in metro Atlanta. We rank second to Houston in the most mega churches. But in 1980, when I looked out over the church landscape, I thought there needed to be more of a certain type of church with the qualities that we find in the earliest church. And I believe that need still exists. My calling is to pastor an Acts chapter 2 church. I want our church to revert back to ground zero and to model the mother church. I've studied the foundation and the formulation of the earliest church, and I feel called to reproduce the initial church in the book of Acts. Our text describes life in the Acts chapter 2 church, and its summary statement is found in chapter 2, verse 47. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. See, God could add to this church because he trusted its motives. I'm sure it wasn't a perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect church. But the heart was right. This church wanted to be a healthy church, to do church right, to be biblical, to do things by the book. And of course, at its start, it exploded with growth. On the church's first Sunday, the number of disciples expanded from 120 to 3,000. A couple of days later, the church ballooned to 5,000. One New Testament scholar estimates that in its first few months, the church in Jerusalem grew from 120 to 25,000 members. But the church in Jerusalem didn't just have lots of people. It had a purity and power that we need today. The Acts chapter 2 church was an explosion of life and joy. In fact, when a couple played the hypocrite and God saw fit to strike them dead, amazingly, the church continued to grow. How in the world does that happen? At the end of Acts chapter 4, Luke uses two phrases to sum up this dynamic church. Great power and great grace. Wouldn't it be great? if those two expressions characterized every church, power and grace? Well, the first church is proof that when God finds a healthy church, he adds people to that church. For he knows that healthy churches produce healthy Christians. 37 years ago, I was drawn to this model of church life, and reviving it continues to be my goal today. When Billy Graham brought his evangelistic team to Montgomery, Alabama, back in the midst of the civil rights movement, back in the 1960s, he insisted on breaking the color barrier. He wouldn't come unless the crusade choir included both black folks and white folks. One newspaper editorial at the time blasted Graham and claimed that he was going to set the church back 100 years. When asked to reply, Dr. Graham's response was classic. He said, if I only set the church back 100 years, i failed in my mission. I desire to set it back 2,000 years. And this is my goal. I want our church, Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain, to be a healthy, dynamic church, a church with both purity and power. I want us to be an Acts chapter 2 church. Well, today, I want to examine what I think are the six ingredients of the earliest church. You know, every southern town these days has a First Baptist and a First Methodist. Well, I want us to look at the first church, period. Six features stand out about the very first church that are described for us in the book of Acts. First, the agenda of this church was spiritual. Second, the aim was social. Third, the atmosphere was was supernatural. Fourth, the attitude was one of solidarity. Fifth, the approach was simple. And then lastly, the action was steady. And by the way, these are the ingredients that every church can afford. You don't have to spend years saving money to purchase what the early church possessed. You don't need a big budget to be an Acts chapter 2 church or professional staff or high-tech equipment, or slick programs, or fancy marketing. You don't even need a building. All you need is a biblical attitude toward church, a little faith, some healthy endurance, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, here are the six ingredients of an Acts chapter 2 church. First, the agenda of this church was spiritual. You know, some church calendars are filled with aerobics classes. And potlucks, and golf outings, and various functions. The church sort of operates more like a country club than a house of worship. But when the early church came together, the reason was not to entertain one another or just pass the time. Meetings were designed to encourage spiritual growth. Hey, there's nothing wrong with us having fun or being entertained, but that should never be the church's ultimate goal. Our agenda should always be spiritual. In one of his commentaries, Pastor John Corson makes an interesting observation about youth ministry that I think applies to all of church life. He writes, The world can outfun us, out-entertain us, and out-slick us every time because whenever Christians try to copy what the world does, they never do it as well. But I'll tell you what we can do with our kids. We can love them and give them the truth like the world never can. That should apply to all of church. Christians can do a lot of fun things together, but the ultimate purpose behind our getting together should be to strengthen our faith. God should always be our goal. Notice the four activities that occurred when this church gathered. Verse 42, them for us. The Apostles' Doctrine, Fellowship, Breaking of Bread, and Prayers. Notice first, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They were habitual about Bible study. Hey, when these believers met together, their conversations revolved around some Bible promise or a Bible passage. They couldn't get enough of the bread of heaven. You could call them Bible junkies. They weren't just dabblers or recreational users. They inhaled. They were dependent on God's Word. They were hooked on Bible study. They had come to base their lives on God's truths. I once read a quote from Marla Maples of Donald Trump fame. She actually articulated a position that I think a lot of people hold. She said, yes, I believe the Bible, but you can't always take it literally and be happy. Oh, Marla, if you only knew. The Bible holds the keys to spiritual health and true happiness. You don't know happiness until you walk in the light of God's Word. You know, it's interesting that the denominations losing members today are those who no longer hold to the inerrancy and the authority of Scripture, whereas the growing churches are those who take the Bible literally. The teaching of the Bible is a cornerstone of a healthy church. This is what we do here at Calvary Chapel. We study the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter, and book by book. Well, another activity of a, the, of a healthy church, part of this agenda, is fellowship. The Greek word is koinonia, which means to hold in common. Of course, I like this definition of fellowship. It's the best one I've ever heard. Fellowship is two fellows in the same ship. Once I attended a pastor's conference where I heard this statement. People aren't really looking for a friendly church, but a friend at church. And I believe that's so true. You know, it's fairly easy to find people who'll be friendly, but it takes time and effort to be a true friend. See, true koinonia is more than just a handshake or a polite gesture or a friendly greeting. It's genuine, heartfelt, out-of-my-way concern and care for another Christian. Here's a description of what should happen when we fellowship. Masks come off. Conversations get deep. Hearts get vulnerable. Lives are shared. Accountability is invited. Tenderness flows. People really do become like family. This is what the church is about. We should be about knowing and being known Loving and being loved, serving and being served. Well, notice also they participated in the breaking of bread or the practice of communion. I like what Steve Brown says of the Lord's Supper. He says, the world drinks to forget while the Christian drinks to remember. The bread and the cup point us to Jesus and the cross where our salvation was won And when we spend time at the Lord's table, our focus remains on what matters most. The main thing stays the main thing. And this is what worship in general does for a church. It not only blesses God's heart and cultivates a sense of his presence, it keeps our eyes on Jesus. In one of his books, Pastor Greg Laurie tells of the first time he heard true worship. He walked into the church and he heard the people singing the praises of God. Even even though he wasn't a Christian at the time, after hearing true praise, he concluded, I knew these people believed what they were singing. But more than that, I sensed someone was on the receiving end of their praise. That's true worship. Worship is more than just music. It's more than a few talented folks entertaining the rest of us. We use music as a medium to enter God's presence and to communicate with Him. Worship and communion were a dietary staple in the early church, and it's the same today in any healthy church. And then the other item on the church's agenda here in Acts was prayer. You know, a healthy church will also be meeting together to pray, for God unleashes His power through prayer. Sidlow Baxter once wrote, Men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. Prayer is our most formidable weapon. Once I saw a street sign, and the street sign read, Electric Avenue. But it was right next to a yellow diamond-shaped traffic sign that read, No Outlet. Now imagine, no outlet on Electric Avenue. Hey, every church is located on Electric Avenue, and there is an outlet. The Holy Spirit wants to energize us, but we have to plug into his power through prayer. Well, in the first church, the agenda was spiritual, but its aim was social. Realize the church's concept of salvation included relationships. The rallying cry, the mission statement of the church was Peter's statement here in verse 40. Be saved from this perverse generation. The early Christians understood that the purpose of the church was not only to save people from their sin, but to save them from their sinful surroundings as well. The mission was to rescue people from a perverse generation. Rally them around a new identity in Christ, and then enroll them in a new community, an outpost of heaven on earth. I'm sure you realize that we all have the need to belong. This is why families exist. This is why there's an Elks Lodge, and a sewing circle, and teenage gangs. And this is the primary reason why the church exists. God created us to have community with each other. God takes us out of the world then to take us into his church. He pulls us off the sinking ship of this world and makes us members of his crew. We wear God's colors now. We're God's gang. An ad once appeared in a newspaper which demonstrates just how desperate people are for companionship. The advertisement read, I will listen to you talk for 30 minutes without comment for $5. (laughs) And amazingly, it didn't take long for the guy who placed this ad to start getting 10 to 20 calls a day. It became quite a good business for him. For people are desperate for community. World-famous physicist Albert Einstein once said of himself, It is strange to be known so universally and yet be so lonely. Even the rich and famous battle with loneliness. God never meant for any of us to be lonely. He wants to surround us with loving and caring and meaningful relationships. This is the priority of the church. I hope it's our priority as well. Our goal should be to be the family of God. Again, in verse 40, Peter says, Be saved from this perverse generation. In the first church, a person's salvation had not impacted that person fully if it had only affected him spiritually and not socially. Jesus' intent in saving us is to place us in a new community. The church should be a taste of heaven on earth. If you've ever traveled down to Miami, Florida, you may have visited Little Havana. It's a pocket of Cuban ethnicity right in the middle of a major American city. And I believe this is God's intention for the church. He wants us to be a pocket of heavenly ethnicity and culture in the midst of a pagan and lost world. If you're in Miami and you want to learn how people on the streets of Cuba talk and act and treat each other, all you have to do is travel down to Little Havana. And if you're in our community and you want to know how folks talk and act and treat each other on the streets of heaven, all you should have to do is come and visit Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain. Hey, we need to be the place, a little bit of heaven on earth. Here we want to live Christianity, not just believe it. Our church's aim should be social. Note also, though, in the church of Acts, the atmosphere was supernatural. And this is important. Verse 43 reads, many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. There was a spiritual energy in this first church that permeated everything from their fellowship to their missionary endeavors. It was as if God had shaken up a can of Coca-Cola and popped the top. There was a spiritual eruption, an explosion, a gushing that created a momentum in this ministry that made it unstoppable. As a result, believers came to the church with an anticipation that God was going to work in their midst. When they prayed, they expected God to be on the other end of the line. Church was a place to plug into the power. Study the first church and you'll see people were healed. Prayers were answered. Miracles occurred. And we're told fear came upon every soul. People were in awe of God. You know, I mentioned earlier the first church was characterized by great power and great grace. But in Acts chapter 5, it gets added, great fear came upon them. Folks knew that God was real. And this should be true in every church. People came full of awe and anticipation. And then the fourth feature of the church in Acts was its attitude of solidarity. Notice verse 44. All who believed were together. Their togetherness and their unity made them indestructible. They hung out together and they ate meals together and they spent time together and they did stuff together. They lived their lives shoulder to shoulder. Several years ago, I spoke at a conference in Northern California in the Santa Cruz Mountains. This little cabin that I stayed in was surrounded by redwood trees. These are huge, colossal trees, hundreds of feet tall. You'd think that that trees so large would have deep roots, but not so. I learned that the roots of a redwood tree are relatively shallow. In fact, a solitary redwood is likely to blow blow over in a mild gust of wind. But these trees gain their strength by growing in groves. Rather than go deep, their roots stretch out and they interlock with the trees around them. And this is how the church grows. Christians grow best in groves. We gain strength by interlocking our roots with each other and growing together. It's spiritual solidarity that gives the church its muscle. The believers in the first church were shoulder to shoulder, but they were also hand in hand. There was an incredible atmosphere of generosity and sharing in this church. We're told in verses 44 and 45, they had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. The attitude was, all that's mine belongs to God. And since you belong to God, then all that's mine belongs to you. Once this kind of unselfish, sacrificial love and generosity is cultivated within a church, believe me, God is going to add to that church. I read a pastor who once told his church that whenever the offering plate passed, if they had a surplus, they needed to take some of the surplus and put the money in the plate. But if they had a lack, if they had a need, then they could take out of the plate what they needed. Well, they did this several Sundays. And the pastor said that each Sunday the church did this, the treasurer reported record offerings. Well, I think we should do the same. Why don't we try it this morning? If you have a surplus this morning, when you walk out the door by that offering box back there, I want you to take your surplus and stick it in the little slot on the offering box there. Just stick your money down in that slot. And if you have a need this morning, I want you to reach your hand in that little slot and grab as much as you need. Just take as much as you, what you can get out of that little, that little <laughs> slot. seriously if you have a need we do want to help well the early church was solidly together man they were shoulder to shoulder they were hand in hand and they were back to back they knew that in times of trouble they could count on each other and this is important to be the body of christ we need to be able to trust one another you know a few chapters later in acts chapter 12 persecution will raise its ugly head Peter will get thrown into prison. And this time, the church who put its monies together back in chapter 2 will put their prayers together in chapter 12. They'll hold an all-night prayer vigil for Peter. And while they're praying, God will send an angel to orchestrate a jailbreak. Every church needs to have an attitude of solidarity. Shoulder to shoulder, side to side, back to back, and heart to heart. The first church not only pooled their resources, but they divided to those who had need. They gave together. and This is also a mark of a healthy church. A church that grows will have a heart that gives. It'll be on the lookout to meet needs. And then the fifth feature of a healthy church was its approach was simple. Read again verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. The first church kept church life simple and straightforward. There wasn't a lot of red tape here. Not a lot of bureaucracy in this church or formality. Church life was done in a way that left few hiding places for impure motives or hidden agendas. Life in the Acts chapter 2 church was beautiful in its simplicity. Why is it our tendency to complicate stuff? There is a sinus rinse on the market that comes with a 32-page booklet of instructions. A sinus rinse now. That's thousands of words on the cautions and benefits and operation of a sinus rinse. I mean, the nozzle on the bottle fits any nostril, okay? And it's not hard to squeeze a plastic bottle and send the stuff up your nose. I mean, this isn't constructing a bridge or coordinating a royal wedding or anything like that. And yet you can complicate even a sinus rent, rinse. The other day it took me 10 minutes to figure out how to get the new style security cap off of a bottle of ibuprofen. I'm a grown adult. It took me 10 minutes to figure that out. The typical credit card contract in 1980 was 400 words. Today the document contains 20,000 words. Yet get my point. Everything in modern life is becoming increasingly complicated, yet complexity doesn't mean better. I'm so thankful that God calls for life in the church to be simple. They had simplicity of heart. A supposed expert on church growth, a man named Peter Wagner, he used to say, Church growth is complex. I disagree. No rocket scientist is needed here. When you look at the growth of the first church, there were no fancy programs or elaborate formats or hoops to jump through. Just a real simple schedule. On Sundays, the big group met in the temple to worship Jesus and hear the apostles teach the scripture. Then Monday through Saturday, the believers met in small groups to study God's word and to fellowship and worship and pray. Church was just real simple. And likewise, churches today should keep it simple. And then finally, I want you to notice in the first church, the action was steady. Believers were consistent, verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Then in verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord. The early church was not some fly-by-night operation. They were diligent and determined and dedicated to be the church that God intended for them to be. In a few months, I will have been the pastor of Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain for 38 years. And I've seen the ups and downs. I've lived through prosperous times and lean times. I've been around when the mood was upbeat and stuff was happening, when life was good. I've also survived the times when people were down and situations had turned grim. But in both the good times and the bad times, we've always tried to be consistent. People have come and gone. Circumstances are always changing. We've gotten older, hopefully better at what we do. But one thing stays the same. We've remained true to our vision and our core values. And we've been committed to the distinctives of our calling. We know who we are, and we're determined not to be swayed by the latest fads and fancies and formulas. The church in Acts chapter 2 is our example. But it's not enough for just the leaders of the church to be steadfast. If its members want to get the most out of church life, they too can't afford to be fickle and flighty. Church members need a quality that's becoming more and more rare these days. They need stick with itness. As we're told here, the people continued steadfastly. Hey, just because you get snubbed one week by someone who doesn't reciprocate your friendliness, don't give up on finding fellowship with the people around you, the fellowship that you need. Don't give up on that. Just because there are parts of the Bible that you don't get the first time you read them, don't put your Bible on the shelf and give up seeking to understand the Scripture. Stick with it. Just because your prayers don't get answered the way you think they should the first time you pray, don't give up on the notion of prayer and conclude that God doesn't care or he isn't on the other end of the line. No, you should stick with it. Hank Aaron hit 755 home runs. But did you know he struck out 1,383 times? I mean, every venture of faith might, end up a, might not end up a home run. But you've got to keep taking your cuts. God has a lot to teach all of us. And sometimes it takes time to figure it out. The Acts chapter 2 church continued steadfastly. The believers were consistent. They had more than just a random commitment. These were not just one-hit wonders. I think it's interesting to look back on the one-hit wonders. I mean, do you know the difference between the Baha men and earth, wind, and fire. Do you know the difference between these two groups? The Baja, any Baja men fans here? Probably not. The Baja men had only one hit song. Anybody know what it was? Who let the dogs out? We've got one Baja man fan here. They had one hit. Who let the dogs out? Not exactly your rock and roll classic, by the way. Whereas Earth, Wind, and Fire had 32 top 100 songs. The Baja men were a flash in a pan. Earth, Wind, and Fire set a standard of excellence for 30 years. And this should be the case with the church. Not like the Baja men, but like Earth, Wind, and Fire. (laughs) Hey, the church in action also have this kind of consistency. You know, they had a spectacular beginning, but more importantly, this church had a consistency over the years that was honoring to God. And so should we. We need to realize that nowhere does the Bible promise a church instant success. It takes time for spiritual fruit to mature and people to grow. We need consistency. When times get tough, we can't bail out. There's a lot to be said for perseverance and for stick with itness. Let's all continue steadfastly. Here's one of my favorite quotes. The huge oak tree is just a little nut that held its ground. And I resemble that remark. I can relate to this. I can be a little nut. What kind of a church do you want to be a part of? A high church? A hip church? A hopping church? A happy church? A helping church? Or do you want to be a part of a holy church. I believe the Acts chapter 2 church was a holy church. It was fashioned after God's design, and it was dedicated to Him. And we have a record of this church, for God wants us to model its life and its habits. Remember, the agenda was spiritual. The aim of this church was social. The atmosphere was supernatural. The attitude was one of solidarity, the approach was simple, and the action was steady. Let's be the kind of church that God desires for us to be.